That might be my favorite Jack White song. Is it right? Got one of the best riffs in it. I didn't even know the song until Jake started playing it on our show all those years ago. Ball and a biscuit, baby. <clears throat> Take our sweet little time. Oh, man. Talk about it. Talk about it. <clears throat> Jake, uh, let's start off with Zay Flowers complaining about the rest. Oh, please. I would oh, inject it into my veins. Stupid. <laughs> you can't you can't make the calls for those refs. Do you have the uh it still pops up for me. I, I DM'd you uh Lewis Riddick on the Dan Patrick show. I like Lewis Riddick. I, I wish like, he'd return my phone calls. Well, he's not going to. Um <laughs> keep trying. I like him, I but he's, he's not gonna Right. He's a big deal. I yeah. do have it. I have it whenever you want it. Um here is uh Lewis Riddick from ESPN on the Dan Patrick show as he explains what the Chiefs defense did to Lamar Jackson that had him in the Ravens office out of sort. Explain to me what the Chiefs defense did to Lamar Jackson. Well, I think it's kind of a twofold thing, uh, Dan. I think first and foremost, early on, you could see that Steve Spagnuolo said, hey, look, we're going to try and make this a one-dimensional game make this a passing game for you. So when you come out and you try to run the football early in the game, we're going to play some very, very tight up-at-the-line eight-man fronts. And our guys, our offense, our defense line is going to fire off this ball. Our linebackers are coming downhill. And we're going to try and discourage you and try and get into the head of of offensive coordinator Todd Monk and get you out of that thinking that you can run against us. Because if we can get you into a one-dimensional game, we'll take our chances you throw in the football. And he played right into that. Todd Monk and, and the offensive game plan played right into that. And that's when Spags had him exactly where he wanted him. Because from there, he unleashed the five- and six-man pressures, lots of man coverage in the back end, which they're very, very good at anyway. Mm. Chris Jones was – I mean, you start being able to time up the snap count. You start getting a rhythm as a pass rusher. You start getting a rhythm as far as what routes they're trying to throw – and Lamar never looked comfortable. So as soon as he got them out of thinking that they could run the football and stay two-dimensional, which was a mistake on their part, then they had him because that is exactly what they wanted. That's what they wanted to do going in. I thought it was crazy how the Ravens abandoned the run game in the second half. Absolutely. It was insanity, man. They abandoned the run game in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and hey, Spags, I think that's a great job by Lewis Riddick of explaining why and how it happened. Not that that excuses it, but... Just a master class defensive coordinator job. I, if, if I was John Harbaugh, I'd have a lot of questions. I'd have a lot of questions as to why my running backs only get six carries. Think about that. Gus Edwards had 20 yards on his three carries. <laughs> how, many, how many yards did the, did the Bills run for against the Chiefs? It was a good game rushing, wasn't it? I mean, let's see. It was over 180, wasn't it? I know some of that was Josh Allen. 182. But 72 it, of those from Josh Allen. But if it, if, it, if it appeared that there might be an Achilles heel for the Chiefs defense, maybe run at him. <clears throat> you know, no Derek Nadi, no Willie Gay run. Here are the running back carry numbers 
<laughs> from week one to the championship game. Right? You ready? 24, 21, 22, 21, 19, 24, 18, 23, 27, 16, 21, 22, 15, 30, 19, 25, 17, 31, 6. <laughs> crazy. Just crazy. And and look. 6. Getting up early for the Chiefs, getting up by a couple scores was obviously big, but you still didn't ha- you didn't have to abandon the running game because you were down two scores. I thought there was so much time left. But but man, I mentioned this last week. It, psychologically, yep, you get them down two scores in the second half. They're not going to react well because they haven't had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I rolled the stand out there yesterday. Now after Sunday, I don't know if you saw this on X or if you listened to the Border Patrol, mm-hmm. but. Since 2013, now including this game, do you know what Baltimore's record is when they are down 10 points or more at halftime? I don't. It's happened 24 times. <laughs> oh, and 24? Yes. <laughs> no! Smart yes. ass. <laughs> you big smart ass. Since 2013, they're 0 and 24, went down 10 points or more at halftime. That's the only team in the NFL. That doesn't have, doesn't have at least one comeback win like that. And what are the Chiefs are probably above five hundred with Patrick Mahomes. But every other team has, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. That's that's just not how they're built, right? Right, dude. And, and the Chiefs, <clears throat> it was so crazy watching that game down in the Power and Light District because we were all going crazy in the first half. Mahomes is making these incredible throws. Travis Kelsey looks like as good of a Travis Kelsey as he's ever been in his life. And they're scoring points. And it was like, they just were like, all right, we got up by 10. And then they just handed the keys over to the defense the whole second half. No. Well, credit the Ravens' defense. They were terrific in the second yeah. half. Yeah. But Mahomes wasn't taking chances, and which credit to him. Like, yeah. And that's something we talked about. Back towards the end of the regular season, you said it. I said it. Jake said it. This team's going to have to embrace who they are and realize they've got a great defense. And it's okay to be a little conservative from time to time. And don't turn the ball over. Play the field position game. See if that other team can actually drive the ball the length of the field and score on you. And that's what they did the whole second half, and the Ravens couldn't do it. Let me read you what Bill Barnwell wrote. I thought this was interesting. I know, Jake, you put together some Bill Barnwell comments, but listen to this. This is from his article that he wrote about what happened to the Ravens. First of all, the Chiefs happened to him. But listen to this. Uh, he talks about the Ravens not running the ball. He said, while they are a more pass-friendly team in neutral situations than some realize, they simply got away from running the football. I'm the last person to harp on the importance of establishing the run or committing to the ground game for the sake of racking up carries, but Baltimore was one-dimensional for most of the contest. During the regular season, when the Ravens were facing first and 10, while the score was still within 14 points, Todd Munkin called designed runs about 50.6% of the time, and that's excluding scrambles and kneel downs. That can include some games in which they led late and wanted to chew up the clock, but it's pretty much 50-50 there. And that shows how often the Ravens were willing to run the ball on first and 10 throughout their games. On Sunday, they ran the ball nine times on 26 tries on 1st and 10. So out of 26 opportunities on 1st and 10, they ran the ball nine times. 
nine times. Three of those were Lamar Jackson scrambles on pass plays. He said one of those was a kneel down. Right before half. Okay. Yes. So they actually only called five run plays on 22 first and 10 situations. Does that seem smart? No, because you know the thing that the thing that happens too to the Ravens is if they throw on first down and it's incomplete, all of a sudden it's obvious passing downs. Yep. And the Chiefs can change the way they play their defense. He said, when you look at the factors that might influence the run, it's hard to understand why the Ravens would have avoided it as often as they did. The Chiefs ranked 26 in rush defense success rate during the regular season. They didn't have starting linebacker Willie Gay or starting defensive tackle Derek Noddy. I mean, okay. I'll take it. He said, the Ravens seemed to panic and default to the pass. Gus Edwards had a 15-yard run against Casey's base defense in the first quarter. But that would be his only carry of the first half. He had two carries the rest of the way, including one on the opening play of the second half, as the Ravens gave Justice Hill nearly 70% of the offensive snaps. He had four catches for 34 yards and three carries for three yards. That's wild. He said, after Edwards carried the ball on the first snap of the second half, the Ravens didn't call a design run on first and ten the rest of the game. After Edwards carried the ball on the first snap of the second half, the Ravens didn't call a design run on first and ten again the rest of the game. They either threw the ball or Jackson scrambled as part of the pass play on each of the 15 ensuing first and ten opportunities. And while they trailed by ten for much of that stretch, that's not such an enormous gap to just abandon the run altogether. It's not. I'm telling you, every time they were back to pass, I was happy. I didn't want to see them to try to establish a run. And it was it was never that far away. You know? It wasn't it, it wasn't That's baffling just to go away from your DNA. Like that's who they are. I mean they're they are I mean how many games in a row that they ran I, I, I saw the stat, I can't recall, but like they run for a hundred yards. That's what they do every game. What, what, what do people say? They were picking the Ravens. Well, I just don't think the Chiefs are going to be able to stop that rushing attack. Well, (laughs) if they don't run, then they can, sure. At the same time, if Zay Zay Flowers doesn't fumble that freaking ball at the one yard, and and Legereus Sneed, I want to keep saying that. I mean, if Legereus Sneed doesn't punch that ball It was stripped. Yeah. What a play. I mean, of all the great plays Legereus Sneed has made, is that the one that that we'll remember the most? What a play. But no, if that doesn't, I mean, that's 17-14, you know, right? In the Super Bowl. Let, let me hear some Bill Barnwell before we break. Um, ESPN NFL Insider. Uh, he said, here is what Nick Bosa versus Patrick Mahomes could look like. 
a lot of chasing is going to happen <laughs> in the Super Bowl, Scott. Nick Bosa is going to get right. his miles in for that game, chasing around Patrick Mahomes. And we saw the last time these two teams played. The Niners slowed down the Chiefs for three quarters. But when that pass rush tired in the fourth quarter, Patrick Mahomes got going. Chiefs made a comeback victory. His secret superpower, the thing we don't talk about with Mahomes, is his ability to avoid sacks and create plays. He's been sacked exactly twice in the game against the Ravens on Sunday. First two times he's been sacked all postseason. It's not sacked last year in the Super Bowl against that Eagles team that had 70 sacks all year. His ability to stay upright, and if it's not going to be a completion, at least be incompletion for no gain, as opposed to a sack that puts them in third and long, that could be the difference on a couple of key drives in the Super Bowl. So Bosa is going to have to make plays one-on-one. Here Bill Barnwell talks about uh, Travis Kelsey's impact and what that might be uh, in the Super Bowl. He has such a fun matchup here, good on good. Maybe the best tight end in football history in Travis Kelsey versus, to me, the best coverage linebacker in football in Fred Warner of the 49ers. The Niners, they take away the middle of the field with those linebackers, but we have seen some tight ends have success against them. Go to the game today. Sam Laporta had 97 receiving yards against Fred Warner and those great Niners linebackers. And Travis Kelsey, I think some of us were counting him out after the second half of the year. He goes over. 100 yards today, three touchdowns in his past two games. He's still the focal point of this Chiefs offense. So the Niners are going to have to adapt to all the things Andy Reid does to get Travis Kelsey open over the middle of the field. One more from Bill Barnwell. Uh, here he previews uh, the matchup between Brock Purdy and Steve Spagnolo. He loves to blitz opposing quarterbacks, especially younger quarterbacks who have struggled against the blitz in their careers. Doesn't mean a seven-man rush. Could mean, you know, bringing a fifth guy and dropping mm-hmm. somebody out. It could be something exotic, but he has a full menu of rushes. But Brock Purdy, the one thing he's really done well this year is take advantage of the blitz. He's averaged more than 10 yards per attempt against the blitz this year. Best mark in football by nearly two yards. And of course, that no one's going to have his moments, but can Brock Purdy find open receivers, and can those guys make the Chiefs pay after the catch? It's going to be one of the big stories when we get to Las Vegas in a couple weeks. That's right. That was Bill Barnwell from uh, ESPN. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to former Chiefs offensive, offensive lineman Joe Valerio right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jake, studio audience, round of applause for a successful food run by Laser the Intern. Got the orders correct and everything taken care of. Big news, big moment. He got himself a, a griddle. Didn't he get nothing? You know what other Jake? Nah. I'm fortunate to eat something. Not inside my window. Yeah, I've got your window right here. Picking up food was one of the most vital things I did every yeah. every day that I was an intern. I forgot, my, I forgot my oatmeal. Oh, man. Yeah, well... I need some deli in my belly. Yeah. <laughs> Every damn day. Joe Valerio's window is open, and he joins us right now. Joe, good morning. How are you? Oh, guys, now you're talking about food. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm starving. I'm thinking about the barbecue that we had for the game. We always we have a great Casey barbecue place here in the Philadelphia area, and we get it for every game. So it just makes us feel like we're at home. What's the name of that place? games. It is called Big Bad Wolf. It is in Aston, Pennsylvania, and uh, they are – it's absolutely fantastic. So it is our – it's our go-to. What do you uh, What do you get? 
I love Burn Ends mm-hmm. are the best. I mean, they're just so good. Um, their brisket's fantastic. We get their barbecue chicken, and then we make pulled chicken sandwiches out of that. Uh, their baked beans are fantastic. The mac and cheese, it's just uh, it's just a cornbread. It's just it's a it's just a Kansas City experience. And then occasionally we'll get the pulled pork, um, or we'll substitute in that for the pulled chicken. So um, yeah, it's fantastic. We love it. It makes us feel like we're at home. They've got uh, you know we get the Casey style barbecue sauce, not too sweet, not too vinegary, just right down Broadway, and <laughs> it's fantastic. So. I'm um, excited to do it again for the Super Bowl. Now, when the Eagles and the Chiefs played the Super Bowl, we had to have cheesesteaks and hoagies on the other side of the room. Oh wow! So, and then and then and now that we're playing the 49ers, la- the, the last time we beat the 49ers, I, I'm still eating rice aroni. Um, a colleague of mine that you know lives in San Francisco, uh, we bet a case of Kansas City barbecue sauce versus a case of rice aroni, the San Francisco treat, <laughs> and we're still eating. We're still eating it. That <laughs> is not a, that is not an even trade right there. No, it's not even close, but, you know, I I don't think they were going to ship us out any seafood or anything. That wouldn't have made it all the way across the country. So <laughs> the rice and was okay. But, man, my sodium and my sodium count, blood count went up, you know, since I've been eating all that rice and So, Joe, <laughs> yesterday we played about a minute uh, clip of Nick Allegretti on the field after the game, uh, basically in tears, uh, talking yeah. about, uh, what the win meant to him, what it meant to him. To He, he said that uh, he tried to stay off of Twitter, but a couple of times he opened it up and saw how much support he was getting from fans. He said, he goes, people don't talk. You got that, Jake? You want to play it? People don't talk about me that often. It was, it, we'll play this for people that didn't hear it because I it was I my it. favorite on-field interview, uh, and then we'll, we'll move on after that. But, uh, Jake, play that for me. I'm appreciative to be part of this organization. I just want to see my family. I, they're, they're, I just, it was an emotional week and guys, let's go win one. Ah, oh, man, the fans are incredible support. I tried to stay off Twitter, but every time I opened it, it was a ton of support towards me. And, uh, man, I'm not used to seeing anything on Twitter about myself. So that was incredible. And I got shots going another one. Let's go win one. All right, buddy. Good job. Nick, the focus of this team, especially you to have to fill in with Joe out. What's it mean for you guys to accomplish the task when everything you had to go through the adversity? Uh, it, it's incredible. I mean, you, you, you can't understate what Joe Tooney's meant to this team, and he'll never get enough credit for what he's done with both organizations he's been a part of. Um, and, you know, the guys, I had, I had a challenge. The guys knew that, and they were there for me all week, helping me with communication, making sure that I was, you know, ingrained in this offensive line, this starting five this week. And, God, I'm so, I'm so proud of this team, so proud of that offensive line, and honored to be part of it. And for Nick Allegretti, he was he was one of the offensive linemen that started in that Super Bowl loss to Tampa Bay. Um, and And here he is with an opportunity to step in for Joe Tooney and, and help the Chiefs get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, he, he's, he's good enough to be a starter on a lot of different teams. And according to Pro Football Focus, at least, he was the highest-graded pass blocker for the Chiefs against the Ravens on Sunday. Uh, what a great story, right? And you could, he's, here the, he's, he's crying, talking about uh, you know helping the Chiefs win that game. Uh, what what a what an awesome story from uh, Nick Allegretti. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, get, I'm I'm getting emotional thinking about it and, and and re-listening to that and hearing it again. I mean, 
you know, here's a guy that made the opportunity, you know, he, he, he made the choice to stay when he had other opportunities, right? I mean, he was a free agent. He had a chance. You're right. He could start, it, he could start on every team in the NFL. He's, a, he's an NFL starter. And, you know, that's something that Brett Beach and, and this organization has done, Andy, have done. They have always had offensive lines that have had uh, reserves. I don't want to call them backups because, you know, that, that has like a negative. These are not backups. These are reserves. Like these are guys that could jump in and start and play any time. And the Chiefs have always done that. And, and it's, it's a credit to them. And it's a credit to Nick Algretti. I mean, listen to the way that he's talking about Joe Tooney, right? Here is his moment in the sun, right? He comes in. He's the highest-graded pass rusher against the number one sacking defense in the NFL, right, which was the big fear of all of us going into this game, right, that, that, the, that, that the Baltimore Ravens were going to get after Patrick Mahomes, regardless of who was starting. And he comes in and does that, and he turns it right back around and talks about how much Joe Tooney means to this organization. I mean, come on, is that the guy? Isn't that the guy you want on your team, man? Like, it's amazing. He's an amazing person. I had the absolute pleasure of meeting him, um, and and it was I didn't get to meet him this past season at homecoming, or I call it homecoming, like I'm in college uh, at the alumni game. But we came back, um, you know, a couple years ago for for Kimball Landers uh, going into the Ring of Fame, and I had to go meet. Nick, I mean, number 73, he had caught a touchdown, right? Italian kid, right? Backup lineman, like reserve lineman, I should say. Stop using that term, backup, right? <laughs> and there I was, and I got great pictures with him. I was like, man, you, you're, you, you look a lot more muscular than I do right now. I look small uh, next to him. But I have a lot more gray hair, too. But, like, it was so awesome to meet him. And we had such a great conversation. I got to meet his family. They all, they all had his 73 jersey on. And it was such a treat for me. To meet like the next generation of linemen, guys, you know, Paisan wearing number seventy-three, catch a little touchdown here and there, and uh, it was—I mean, it was such such a treat. And uh, it's uh, you know, it's, it's just great to, to have that connection with him for sure. He's fantastic, and I—I'm I, so so happy for him. I mean, and, and it's just like it, it seems like it's across the board. You, you mentioned the fact that Andy Reid and Brett Veach have done it. We, we've seen guys in the secondary. When people have gotten hurt, step up. We've seen guys at linebacker step up when people have gotten hurt. And now we have the unfortunate news that came out yesterday that uh, Charles Amenehue is going to be out because he ended up tearing his ACL in that game. And he's been a heck of a producer. And now that means opportunity for somebody else, maybe their first-round draft pick from this past season, Felix Anudike Uzama, could step up. But I'm curious your, your thoughts on the loss of a Hugh, what it means, and how optimistic are you that they'll do the same thing they seem to do at every other position right now, and that's have somebody step up? Yeah, I mean, not, not that you know, hope is a strategy. I mean, but finding great talent is the strategy, right? It's, it's not just a, a hope that somebody will step up. It's it's the work that Andy Reid and this team put into creating an environment where you know uh, this, this term sometimes has a negative connotation but like next man up right like it that sounds cold and calculated right next man up but like it it, it, it is in essence though what what this organization has done i mean and you even look at you know guys like clyde edwards alaire right he's an example not to not to get away from the charles amenahu issue but like clyde edwards alaire is a perfect example right here's a guy that could have gone in the dumps and you know just really tacked it in right isaiah pacheco's kid's gonna be legend i mean he's he's unbelievable right he's gaining national notoriety he's he's carrying no pun intended carrying this team on his back from a from a running perspective 
But you know what Clyde Edwards-Alaire does? He gets in there and makes plays when he has to. And I'm telling you, it's, it's a cultural thing. Um, it's, it's something that this team has, has been so good at since you know, Andy Reid and Brett Beach have teamed up. And, and Clark Hunt has allowed that culture to, to you know, happen and, and sort of really flourish. And, and I, I think it really comes down to that, not to be broad brush about it, but it comes down to culture and wanting to be a part of it. I think about, like, even, you know, I'm very close to Justin Watson, right, Penn Connection, and I know his family and spent, spent a lot of time with Justin and, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a fellow Penn Quaker. And, you know, here's another guy that had opportunities to go, right? He's like, no, but I, I, I want to come back to this team. Probably took a lot less money, right? He, you know, here's a guy that, you know, he knows he's, a, he's, not, he's not Tyreek Hill. He's not, a, you know, uh, going to be that number one receiver on a team. But he had a chance, you know, go make some money somewhere else and, and, and at least cash in a little bit on, on, on the great season that he had last year in stepping up. But what does he do? He stays in Kansas City, right? He stays because he loves the community, he loves the people, he loves the coaches, he loves his teammates. Those are just a couple of examples of, of just kind of answering your questions about Charles Amenahu that you hope, right, hope shouldn't be a strategy, but that you plan for the next guy to do when you have a team like that. And, they, and like I said, not to go back to the offensive line, but I think back to some of these offensive lines, you know, that they've had post pre and post that one debacle, you know, year they had against, you know, against Tampa where the line just got decimated. But like, you know, they were never going to let that happen again, but there are so many times when this offensive line had eight or nine starters on it. And you watch those guys go play uh, and the Andrew Wiley's of the world who was a backup, became a starter. Now he's starting somewhere else. It's just, it's just an example of culture is really what it comes down to, guys. Joe Valerio is our guest. One of my favorite things I saw on social media yesterday was, uh, was a, a post from Drew Tranquil. Uh, and he, it was a screenshot of a conversation that he was having with Andy Reid <laughs> when he was being recruited to sign with the Chiefs. And I thought it was so cool just to get that tiny little glimpse into how this goes. And so you see it's, it says it's from Andy Reid, and it's, it's a partial message that Andy had texted him. And it says, it starts, it says, direction you want to go. So, you know, it probably says something like, you know, and then, and then just let us, let us know what direction you want to go. But then it says, if you need to talk, my phone is on ring. Until then, see red and think Super Bowls with a, with a smiling, Winking emoji, <laughs> and then and then Drew Tranquil says, "Thanks, Coach. I'll call you if any questions pop up today as we process the decision." Andy Reid answers, "Perfect." But it's just like Andy Reid with a little winking emoji, th- you know, see red and think Super Bowls. That's <laughs> that pretty, belongs on a shirt. <laughs> that's a pretty yeah, good, oh pretty, pretty good recruiting pitch. And let me tell you, <laughs> watching him. In the locker room after the game against Miami, seeing his reaction after he was on a team that that did not have a winning culture, that could not get out of their own way, and then coming here after being on the wrong end of, a, of several of those games that the Chiefs go out and just find a way to win. Let me tell you, Joe, this guy is so happy and so thrilled to be here. And if there's any player that appreciates this more or is more excited, I don't know who it is. And, oh, by the way, he had a hell of a game 
against Baltimore. But that's just a great example of a player that's been around for a while that comes into this culture and really appreciates all of the things that maybe we don't see and that we just take for granted that's going on with this organization. Yeah, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it is, you know, this game is all about culture. Guys, there's what, I don't know, you know, 32 teams, 50-man rosters, blah, 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 1,500 guys, whatever, right? 1,600, 1,700 players in the NFL. They're all NFL players. Everybody who gets there can play the game of football. Like, it's 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 not always about the talent, you know? Yeah, yeah, you got to have the right talent, the right chemistry, but, like, that's all part of the culture, right? The culture of, of in, you know, inclusivity, right, and bringing the people in. You watch... You know, if you watch the stuff with the, the quarterback documentary, you see how Andy brings people into the offensive laboratory to create plays. Everything is inclusive. Everything is positive, right? It's about putting people in the right place, matching their talents to the playbook and matching the playbook to their talents. That's magic. Like, that's the kind of culture that it's not a my way or the highway. This is my offensive philosophy, and this is what we're going to do, and if you don't fit, get out, hit the road, like, that's not the way this team is, and that's what you know they've done year in and year out is they've created a culture, um, and 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 it's it, it all starts at the top, right? It all started with you know Clark Hunt just making determination that we were going to have the right culture. I think they had a, there was a little bit of a slip there for a while, you know, in the late two thousands, um, and I think Clark took the bull by the horns and said, you know what, we're getting back to culture. We're hire Andy Reid. Brett Beach comes in, and bam, you see co- what culture can do, right? And with, with the same guys on other, that are playing on other teams, guys, these are NFL players. They're all they're all relatively the same, but it's about you know yeah you get a magic you get magical players like Travis and, and and Patrick. But you know what? Maybe it's the culture that develops them into that. Maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't Patrick Mahomes unless he's with Andy Reid and hanging around the Hunt family and 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 being a part of an organization that has that kind of culture. So you know it's chicken and the egg. You always wonder. You know what comes first, and I think you 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 can't do it without culture. You can you can talent will get you so far, but you can't sustain it without culture. And and I think that's sort of the secret sauce. Um, and Drew Tranquil was amazing. My God, all right. Here's another guy. Next man up, right? Willie Gay in and out a little bit here and there. You know, Drew Tranquil. Tranquil. They go out and they get a guy who is a starter caliber to be a reserve. And next thing you know, he's a starter and he's you know pretty much in my eyes, defensive player of the game. Unsung hero because of what he did in spying Lamar Jackson, making big plays when he needed to make big plays. You know, a, lot of, a lot of fans don't see that. They see the big sacks or they see the picks in the, in the end zone or whatever. But, man, he, you know, it's just one more, he's one more guy to throw into the Nick Allegretti bucket of, you know, what culture can do to create that next man up and, and, and people wanting to be a part of an organization. I have an interesting story with Andy. If he remembers this, I would I'd go out and play the lottery. But I had lunch with Andy Reid the first week that he was hired as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. A bunch of uh, Eagles alums. I'm part of the Philadelphia chapter of, of uh, you know, NFL alums. And, and, you know, we get together, different events, go over alumni activities and things like that. And there's different players, not all Eagles, right? Ex Eagles. It's guys that, you know, were from the from the area who settled back here, played for other teams. And I remember getting an email um and saying, Hey Joe, you know, we're 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 uh, putting the group together to, to welcome Andy Reid to Philadelphia and you know, you know, you're uh, you as a 
as uh, somebody that uh, you know grew up in the area would love to have you come come have lunch. So I was like part of like a group of like eight or nine guys went and had a roast beef sandwich at this local place called Pep Saloon, and right in the adjacent town where I grew up. And uh, it was I, I I'm, and I know hindsight can always be twenty twenty, and we get magical about the past. And I'm telling you though, I seriously knew right then he was the right coach for the Eagles when we met with him, even though he was, you know, fresh off of an assistant position in Green Bay. I could just tell his personality uh, was going to fit with what the Eagles needed to do and, and look where he is now. So, um, you know, it was a long, long time ago, but I, I just and, – and again, you know, the magic of, of hindsight can blur your vision, but I definitely do look back on that and, and – and, fondly knowing that he was going to be a great coach in the NFL and he was going to be perfect for the Eagles, and at the time he was. All right, Joe, we will uh, talk to you next week about uh, the actual matchup coming up in the Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Until then, tell people again where they can uh, catch your podcast. Oh, sure. Believe in Chiefs, B-L-E-A-V in Chiefs on the Believe Network with my podcast partner, Jeff Fadoten. And uh, we love uh, chopping it up. And uh, we'll be recording today, and it'll be out uh, probably uh, t- tomorrow. All right, we'll talk to you next week, Joe. Thanks for the time. All right, thanks, guys. All right, we'll be right back after this. Thanks to Joe Valerio uh, for appearing with us on the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHP. All right, let's play a clip of Andy Reid yesterday, number two. It's Adam Tysher asking Andy whether that Christmas Day loss to the Raiders was a turning point in the Chiefs season. Also, there'll be a follow-up, a couple of follow-ups on the curious case of Kadarius Toney. You know, I think, listen, I think, Adam, that was a good wake-up call for us. Um, you know, they came out with great emotion. Antonio had him ready to go. and um, and But the, that emotion was the thing that jumped out at you that they played with. And um, I, I think it, it, it gave our guys, uh, you know, a nice little, uh, you know, for a better term, a wake-up call. Um, that, that listen, we need to we need to step things up here. Things aren't just going to, you know, fall in our lap. And so um, we're we're taking everybody's best shot. And here's a team that went through some adversity, and and they stepped up and uh, were able to present themselves like they did. So. Um, you know that that uh, uh, we were able to learn from it and and move on. I, I felt all along though we you know we had the ability to do that. Um, we we just like I said we we needed uh, um, just a little kick in the tail there. So. Yeah. Okay. And I'm sure you've seen what Kadarius Tony posted about his situation on social media. What's his status with the team? Will he be practicing with you this week um, when you when you guys get going? Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen it. I mean, I've heard heard uh, people talk about it, but um, uh, yeah, he'll be back back out there, and we'll we'll, we'll see see how he does. Let's go next to Seren Petro. Go ahead, Seren. Uh Coach, just as a, a follow up to Adam's question, uh, so his status with the team is is unchanged it, it remains just an injury situation that the it's got it, i found it difficult to follow what he was saying but it did seem to be that he was saying he was not hurt um can you can expand upon what, what his situation is a little more coach yeah well i mean you know obviously he's been on the injury report so i mean i i got that, that part as uh that's not made up by any means but he's been working through some things and um 
he'll, uh, you know, he'll be back out there. Back out where on IG Live or what? I mean, <laughs> we'll see how he does. I don't expect him to play in the Super Bowl. That part's not made up. <laughs> Please don't take any of our draft picks. I don't know. I didn't. He. I didn't see it. I heard about it. <laughs> did you? Did you? Oh, you heard about it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Okay, then. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have former Chiefs wide receiver Mark Bill Richter in studio on Sports Radio 810 WHP.